This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Jesus says, in order to understand how marriage works effectively, you've got to understand the designer, God, and the design, what purpose he made marriage. And if you can discover those, then you're going to use this institution of marriage effectively and productively. If you don't, it's kind of like dry ice. It can cause great damage and destruction. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to the program. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is speaking to us from Matthew chapter 19 about marriage, the power that's found in marriage, and the joy that's found in marriage. But no matter your relationship status, this message is for you as Pastor Jeff looks at what the Bible says about marriage, singleness, and divorce. Let's get right into the message here on Today with Jeff Vines. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19. And uh, while you're doing that, I want to give you three words. And as I give you the word, I want you to think honestly about uh, what kind of emotions are conjured up within you when you hear the word, okay? First word is this. What do you think of when you think, and don't say it out loud, okay? What do you think of, what kind of emotions are stirred when I talk about marriage, the word marriage? Now, because we know that one out of every two marriages end in divorce, that uh, for a lot of you, you're going to say, hey, uh, you know, best thing I ever did, marriage, man, so much love, so much, so much ecstasy, so much of life, but for others, it's going to be what? Hurt, pain. You're going to say, man, I tried that. Don't go there. I mean, that, that's responsible for a lot of the pain and suffering in my life, my marriage. That's what you're going to be thinking. How about this one? Singleness. For somebody, it's going to be freedom, right? For others, it's going to be frustration because for some of you, what you want more than anything else is to be married, to find that soulmate because you think if you can find that guy or the girl, then your life's going to be complete and everything you've ever wanted or hoped for is found in your spouse. Uh, you think that because you haven't been married yet, but <laughs> what about this one? What about this one? Divorce. What do you think of? Some of you probably think expensive. Others of you probably think, well, this isn't funny anymore because of what you've either been through. And, you know, thank God we're out of that time, at least mostly. 20, 30 years ago, if you had been divorced, it was like the scarlet letter. It was like the unforgivable sin. Thank goodness the church finally came out of that and understood grace and mercy and everything. And the divorce is not the unforgivable sin. That marriage, divorce, is part and partial to everyday life. It's not, the, not how God originally designed it, but there's enormous grace and mercy in that still. 
You know what I want to do? I don't don't want to talk about this issue from a subjective point of view. Because all of us have our emotions and feelings about what marriage should be like, what divorce should be like, when it should happen, or if it shouldn't happen. We all have that. And I, I guarantee you not two people in this room would agree. So what I want to do is I want to take you through the Bible. It's objective. I want you to know what Jesus says about marriage, singleness, and divorce. And that's why I had you turn to Matthew 19. I remember about 12 years ago, a lady asked me to talk to her husband. And she had three little kids. And she said, please talk to my husband because I know he's going to leave. Would you talk to him for me? So I did. And I talked to this guy for hours and I couldn't get anything out of him other than this. Well, I want to really leave because I just want to try something new. I mean, so your wife hasn't cheated on you? No, no, no. She's been a pretty, pretty decent wife, he said. So you, you want to leave just because you want to try something new. What about the commitment that you made? And his response was classic. He said, well, I believe God wants me to be happy. And of course, my response was, oh, God wants you to be happy, but he doesn't care anything about your wife and kids are over there crying because dad's leaving the house. It's all about you. God wants you to be happy. He doesn't care about them. And he hadn't thought of it like that. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, honestly, you're so self-consumed that you've not really thought about the ramifications of what you're about to do. Because remember, we're talking about a wife that had, been, that had given him three kids that was faithful, and he admitted was a, a good wife. Just time to try something else. Amazing. So I have the tendency sometimes of talking about this to enter into subjectivity as well, based on feeling and emotions, and I don't want to do that. The best book I've ever read, and I've read a lot of them, on marriage is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, hands down, because he moves out of the shallowness into the deep end. And the question I want to ask is, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about these issues? And to help us understand that, the first thing we have to understand is, here's what Jesus taught. All through the parables, this is something that he teaches collectively. Then we'll get right into the verses of the text. But collectively, Jesus believed that if you pick up anything, in order to use it uh, productively and effectively, you've got to know two things about it. You've got to know the designer and the design. You've got to know who made this and why did he make it. For instance, I've got some dry ice here that we're going to do a little, have a little fun with later. I promise you it's going to be fun. But dry ice is one of those things, it's pretty important to know what it's used for, the designer and why the design. I mean, it's great for preserving food and uh, medicine for international transport. But if you put it in a box without ventilation, It's just carbon dioxide. It turns back into gas and explodes, especially if you transport it without ventilation. Some of you have been reading about that at LAX airport, right? Also, if you try to touch that, if somehow the guys told me in the back, don't touch it with your hands, it's 109 minus 109 Fahrenheit. If you touch that, your hand's going to look something like this. You're going to burn your hand. It's going to look really bad. So it's important to know the design and the designer. Now, here's what Jesus is going to teach. Jesus is going to teach this. Marriage was created by God, and he created marriage when he created you and me. The origin of marriage comes from God. He officiated the first marriage, and there's never been a society that did not have marriage, and the reason we can't get rid of it, even though we've tried, and we have tried, is because marriage is not a temporary thing. It comes from the creator himself, so as long as we're here, marriage is going to be here. And Jesus says, in order to understand how marriage works effectively, you've got to understand the designer, God, and the design, what purpose he made marriage. And if you can discover those, 
then you're going to use this institution of marriage effectively and productively. If you don't, it's kind of like dry ice. It can cause great damage and destruction. So I want to ask those three questions quickly. What's the origin of marriage? What is the, or let's put it like this. What's the essence of marriage? At its core, at its center, at its heart and soul, what is its essence? Some people come up to me and say, well, I know that, Pastor Jeff. It's love and affection. Well, my dog loves me and is affectionate toward me, but we're not married. I brought Milo to the office this past week. He follows me around everywhere. Just can't wait for my next order. I mean, he loves me. He licks me. When I go for a run, I'm all sweaty, nasty. My wife says, go upstairs, take a shower. My dog says, come here, let me lick you. (laughs) Uh, My dog loves me. My dog would take a bullet for me. I promise you that my dog would die for me. Does that mean we're married? No. As a matter of fact, I read something this past week. Why a dog is better than a wife. I'm not saying I agree. (laughs) I'm just saying this is what I read. And the reason I'm reading this is I read this 12 years ago. That's how old this is. And the reason I'm reading it is because, well, I'll tell you in a second. A dog is better than a wife because, one, the later you are, the happier your dog is to see you. (laughs) A dog is better than a wife because dogs like it when you leave stuff on the floor. A dog is better than a wife because a dog's parents never visit. (laughs) A dog is better than a wife because you never have to wait for a dog. They're ready to go 24 hours a day. And if a dog leaves, it won't take half your stuff. Now, that's not that funny, I know. Now, the reason I chose to read this this weekend is because the wives finally got their say. This just came out a few weeks ago, I think, at least I'm told. There's a new one out called Why a Dog is Better Than a Husband. And I just felt like turnabout is fair play. All right, Why a Dog is Better Than a Husband. One, dogs don't feel threatened by your intelligence. (laughs) Number two, dogs think you are a culinary genius. Why a dog is better than a husband? You can house train a dog. Why a dog is better than a husband? Middle-aged dogs don't feel the need to abandon you for a younger model. Five, dogs mean it when they kiss you. And six, why a dog is better than a husband? Dogs don't care whether or not you shave your legs. So the point is... The point is, I'm not saying that dogs are better. I'm simply saying, if marriage is only love and affection, my dog loves me and has affection toward me, and we're not married. Other people say, well, marriage is about procreation. Listen, I have a favorite golf club up in Palm Springs. Actually, it's just on the border of Palm Springs called Desert Dunes. I love to go up there and play. I love the layout, but I also love the cost. It's inexpensive. And uh, I'll tell you what I've noticed every time we go up there is there are so many rats and rabbits and they're always procreating when we're playing golf. And I want to tell you, they're not married to each other. So it can't be just love and affection. It can't be procreation. Here's what Jesus says, the essence, the core, the center, the heart and soul of marriage for this cause, shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now it's this word cleave. Some of your translations say join together. But the word cleave needs to be there because it's the word for it. It's why Jesus uses it in the original language for covenant. It's a covenant. It's an undying, unrelenting, public proclamation that you're not only going to love this person for who they are now, you're going to love them for who they are to become. Pastor Jeff, we don't know what they're going to become. That's my point. You make a public commitment And you're not married under the idea of covenant and the other idea of cleaving until the public commitment is made that you are going to forsake all others and you are going to have this unrelenting commitment to this other man or to this woman. Marriage, folks, 
According to Jesus, it's not a statement concerning the future. We've had a lot of weddings around here lately. When people come to me and ask me to perform their ceremony, I cringe when they say, we're going to write our own vows. Now, these guys did a good job. But I cringe because I don't usually encourage that. Because usually when they write their own vows, it shows that they have absolutely no idea about what marriage is. Because usually they make statements like, I love you, you're handsome, you're beautiful, you know, I want to kiss you, you know, all those things. Good, I'm glad, but marriage is not about how you feel in the present. Even a Los Angeles Dodger fan knows that, even though I'm sure he's in mourning right now. (laughs) These are the vows he wrote to his wife. I promise to love you as much as the Los Angeles Dodgers and not hold your San Francisco birth against you. From this day ahead, I will listen to all your requests if you say them in the off-season. And you promise to retire my baseball cap and do face painting for public games. I will love you in sickness and in health from this day forward till death do us part or until you become a San Francisco Giants fan. And you can understand, even this guy writing humorous vows, know, he knows that vows are not about Covenants are not about the present. They're about what you're promising for the future. Leaving and cleaving is not about present circumstances. It's not about present love. Leaving and cleaving is about the future. It's about promises. And promises are always about what you are going to do in the future, regardless of the circumstances. That's what a promise is. So when you get married, you're not saying, I'm tender, I'm compassionate, I'm forgiving, I'm loving, I'm submissive. And guys, before you do this to your wife, say, do you hear that submissive? Go back and read Ephesians 5. It starts out that entire chapter by saying mutual submission, that you will submit to one another because that's what people who love each other do. But it's not about saying, this is what I'm going to do now. A covenant of marriage is going to say this, I will be compassionate. I will be patient. I will be forgiving. I will be submissive. I will be kind. I will be generous. I will be self-sacrificing. That's what I will do no matter what this person turns out to be. It's It's a covenant of love without condition. You say, how on earth could Jesus ever expect me to do that? Well, only because that's exactly the way he treats you. Do you want God's love for you to be contingent upon how you act? Well, then we're all in trouble, aren't we? You want to know that his love is sure and there despite your moments of betrayal, despite your moments of harshness or void of an attitude of love. That's why in Ezekiel 16, God says, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. The only way you can control your past and not be controlled by your past is through what? Forgiveness, right? And the only way you can control your future and not be controlled by your future is through promise. What Jesus is saying when he talks about leaving and cleaving, he's saying you make a covenant that is unconditional. You're going to love this person because in Jesus' mind, love is more than an emotion. It is an act of the will. You can actually choose to love somebody that appears at that time to be unlovable. You want to know how? God does it with you every day. Number one, I want to make sure we memorize this together. Number one, the essence of marriage is covenant. Let's say it together. The essence of marriage is covenant. One more time. The essence is covenant. Second question, what is the purpose of marriage? Why did God give us marriage? Now, here's what he said in verse four. Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female for this reason? What does he mean? For what reason? Why did God make them male and female? For this reason, because God did make them male and female, 
a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, here's what he's saying. He's giving us a direct quote out of Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis 2, you find the first malediction. You know, what a, you know what a benediction is? It's a good word. A malediction is a bad word. And so here in Genesis 2, we have the first bad word. Now, the good word is this. When God looks over all creation and he says what? Behold, it is good. Uh, I just have to stop for a moment here. Every time I think of that, you know, I lived in Africa for 10 years and I'm thinking, really? God looks at a hippopotamus and says, behold, it is good. I always find a little humor in that. I told you what hippopotamuses do, right? When the sun goes down, they relieve themselves and they take their tail and they swish that all over the river and the riverbanks. And I'm looking at that and thinking, really? God looked at that and said, behold, this is good? Maybe he meant this is good in a humorous way. Behold, this is good. This is funny. Whatever it is, God looked at all creation and said, behold, it is good. Then he looked at man and said, what? Behold, it ain't good. But he's not talking about man in essence. It's not good for man to be what? alone. And so the Bible says that Eve comes along. Let me give you a new word to call your spouse, okay? Haloop. On the count of three, one, two, three. Haloop. One more time. One, two, three. Haloop. Haloop is the word the Bible uses for companion, friendship, completeness. Haloop. And when Adam first sees Eve, after he says, whoa, man. No, he actually says woman, but you know, nobody ever laughs at that. I... I always, I think that's funny. Whoa, man. After he calls her a woman, what happens? He breaks out into poetry and he says what? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know what he means when he says that? He's saying, wow, you're just like me, only a much better version. And he breaks out into this poetry. It's completeness. It's companionship. It's like he knew something was missing and now it's not. And there's mutual love. And he goes on to say in verse 24, a man leaves his father and mother And he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then the Bible says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is much more than just not having clothes. This is about knowing the intimate details of each other. You got the goods on each other, but there's great love. Because even even though there's a difference, there's great unity in the diversity, and there's perfect community, just like there was in the original in the Trinity. So there's diversity, but there's a unity, there's completion. That's a loop. All right, let's make sure we understand this. Number one, the essence of marriage is what? Covenant. The purpose of marriage is companionship, all right? The purpose of marriage is companionship. And remember, you're not only marrying the person that he is or she is now, you're marrying the person for what they will become. It's a covenant of undying, unrelenting love. All right, now let me take a breath here. Let me talk to the singles for a moment. When the Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked, you shouldn't look at that as some kind of fundamental raving. Uh, It's a life principle. It makes perfect sense that people should marry each other who have a similar faith commitment. It's a life principle. It's not fundamental. It's just a life principle. And here's why. When Robin and I first got married, hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) Look at all that hair. Man, anyway, you know, I, I paused there. I got to tell you, I, I paused there. It's, it, it, you know how cool it is to be 49 years old and still be so attracted to my wife that when I see a photo of her, I wow. Now, that's how I feel about my wife. I'm going to tell you why that is. That's not just some preacher raving. I want you to hear me why that is. But when we first got married, in fact, still to today, we have little to nothing in common. I mean, we, we don't. Uh, I love to eat. She doesn't like to cook. 
I, I love crowds. She doesn't like crowds. She likes a book and a cup of tea in a private place somewhere. I love sports. She doesn't like sports. She's a fantastic swimmer. Matter of fact, most of you don't know, she probably could have been an Olympic swimmer. But I sink right to the bottom. <laughs> we can't go swimming together because I just, I can't keep up with her. I just, God did not make this body to swim. Uh, I love golf. She, she hates golf. My love language is touch and words of affirmation. Her love language is acts of service and quality time. Her idea of quality time is walking on the beach, talking about the emotional state of the relationship. My my idea of quality time is her caddying nine holes for me. We have absolutely nothing in common except the one thing that we both want to know Jesus more tomorrow than we knew him today, and we both want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And because that is what we have in common, we have weathered all kinds of storms. Our marriage was in serious disarray in New Zealand. I've shared that on numerous occasions. But we were committed to no matter what happens, we've made a covenant. And we believed from the very get-go that one of the things marriage does is conform you to the image of Jesus. Oh, yeah. You want to be more like Christ? Get married. You're going to have to learn what it is to sacrifice, to be patient, to be loving, to be kind. All the fruits of the Spirit are going to be all up in your grill when you get married. I promise you. It's going to be part of who you are because unless you, unless you learn those things, man, marriage is going to be tough. The point is in marriage, you share the deepest, most intimate parts of yourself with your spouse. And if the deepest, most intimate part of your life is Jesus and you share that with your spouse and they just don't get it, you're going to feel violated or they laugh at it or they're apathetic toward it or they feel threatened by it because that happens too. When you love Jesus and you grow toward Christ, there's a sense in which your husband or your wife's going to feel like you're growing away from them. It's almost like you've got a new love in your life if it's not properly understood. The point is, you cannot have, listen, you cannot have a deep, intimate relationship with anybody who does not share your center. And that's why the advice is, don't be unequally yoked. It's not a closed-minded, bigoted statement. It's just a life-living principle. Let me say this. The closer you get to Jesus, the farther you move away from your husband. In some respect, now let me explain. On one side, the closer you get to Christ, the closer you're going to get to your husband and the better wife you're going to be because the more you become like Christ, the more sacrificial, the more understanding, the more merciful, the more forgiving because you're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. So in some ways, you're going to be a better wife. But in other ways, you're growing away from your husband if you're growing toward Christ Your centers are getting farther and farther separated. And there's a part at which he can't understand you. And the problem with that is there can never be ultimate intimacy unless you share an ultimate center. And that's why even people who've been married for years still don't know what ultimate intimacy is about. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Essence of marriage is covenant. Purpose of marriage, companionship. Power of marriage, creation of new life. And ultimately, Jesus is saying in these verses, when you choose, choose wisely, because it's forever. However, and this is the hard part, and this is where I really need your attention, Jesus makes an allowance clause. It's interesting. 
You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.